Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to Better Living. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Today we are talking about C7 Human Trafficking Coalition. In studio with me is their chair, Dennis Osmond. How are you today? Good. Good to see you. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. Uh, recommended by Landon over at Ranch Hands Rescue. Uh, phenomenal interview with him, and he had great things to say about your organization. And I want to get right down to it. What is C7 Human Trafficking Coalition? We're a group of 33 organizations based in seven counties in North Texas, uh, which includes Collin, Cook, Dallas, Denton, Grayson, Tarrant, and Wise, basically Dallas, Fort Worth, all the way up to Oklahoma. Uh, that care about human trafficking. And uh, there's a wide variety of services offered, a wide variety of uh, people involved. Um, but the, the core purpose of C7 is fighting human trafficking and specifically sex trafficking. Of all the things that you could dedicate your time to, why specifically this subject? Uh, it's a subject that is near and dear to my heart. Um, I am and have been for a number of years a private investigator, and so a number of years ago I started volunteering with some organizations helping to find uh, missing kids uh, and realized that once we find them, the work really begins, and there's just a great need for uh, the aftercare to help them become restored, but also... Uh, everything that should come beforehand in order to prevent them from becoming victims of trafficking in the first place. Really trying to look at all sides of a very complicated issue. It really is very complex, um, a lot more than people generally realize. I want to learn more about your private investigator background. Is that your day job? Is that is that what you do as a profession? Yes. How long have you been doing that? Uh, I've had my company since 2013. Have you always been a PI? No, actually, I had, years ago I was in ministry. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Okay. Which is quite the transition, I understand. Sure. Were you ever a police officer? I wasn't. No. All right. So you got to tell me about this journey. What's okay. going on here? So um, I was in ministry for many years and then uh, was back in business doing various things. We then moved to the Dallas area in 2010. Where from? Uh, from South Texas, okay. uh, down in the McAllen area, and uh, was basically needing work. And so got into security and things just because it was an easy entry point. Um, but you can only sit, I could only sit in, you know, one place for just so long. It's a tough job. Uh, it, it really is. It's, it's, I wanted to, I'm too curious, I guess I should say. And so uh, I ended up getting more into uh, investigations and going through training for that eventually opened my own company and um, of course you start out doing all the things that PIs are known for doing you know chasing cheaters and things but um, is that usually the first job that a private the, investigator it's gets the kind of low-hanging fruit those are the, the right. easiest jobs to get in order to turn keep the lights on um, but I quickly started to volunteer for organizations that were uh, helping to find 
uh, missing kids and got involved with that. And part of that's just that heart, that ministry heart, you know, that's still in me. So one thing led to another, and that continued to grow. And um, gee, since 2014, I've helped locate about 130 kids. Real quick, mm-hmm. do the cheaters want to get caught? <laughs> Generally not. <laughs> um, they definitely don't want to get caught. Um, I will say that the uh, significant other, 95% of the time, they already know what's going on. And right. I and I used to tell them that, like, look, if you think it's going on, it's going on. Do you really need to hire me? But yeah. All right. So was there a specific <laughs> case that led you to this? Because I think this is a very specific calling. I think that you need to really have gone through something or seen something to make you want to work in this area. This is a very tough subject uh, to deal with on, on a frequent basis. And then to start an organization. So I would guess that something happened and you really were compelled to act. Interestingly, there wasn't a major you know, issue or, or event that happened for me. Um, when I was in ministry, I did a lot of work uh, in lower income areas. Uh, whether in the United States or in Mexico, but even in downtown Chicago and um, areas that I, I worked in, anti-drug, anti-gang presentations on a, you know, we traveled nationally doing those. And um, so I was always pulled toward youth and pulled toward uh, those that are more vulnerable to crimes and to long-term issues. And uh, initially, I volunteered with Traffic 911 and a couple other organizations uh, back when they were still uh, doing that this type of work with actually locating kids and ended up meeting a number of people that then we continued to work together uh, on missing cases and eventually then formed our own uh, nonprofit in order to focus on that, which our uh, organization is one of the member organizations of C7. How do you track someone down? How does this process start? Are you are you contacted by parents that are looking for a kid? Do you see the patterns? You know, maybe do you recognize something and then start investigating? How does all this work? We more and more were contacted through our Facebook page or social media by family members. Uh, we also monitor social media. Oftentimes, a family member will post, you know, that a child is missing. And so we'll reach out to them and, and offer our services. Really? We, we don't charge for anything. And so we'll just tell them who we are and give them our information and, and see if we can help in any way. We work closely with law enforcement. Uh, we, this is not a movie. We are not going in and grabbing, you know, a kid and, and running out of some location. It's you have to do things legally and safely. And law enforcement is trained for that. And so we do what we can in order to help locate them. Then we call law enforcement in to come actually get them. That's what I'm trying to understand is you have the the movie version of a private investigator rescuing teens. Right. Uh, and then you have what you do, which I'm assuming could not be further from the movie version. Absolutely. Yeah. It's People often think of the movie Taken. Um, whether it's for human trafficking or missing kids in, in general. Um, Homeland Security says that 1% to 2% of human trafficking victims are abducted in the United States. Um, and the rest, the other 98 99% are not abducted. They are um, caught in a situation, and there's a variety of ways that happens, whether it's through being manipulated uh, in a 
what turns out to be a false relationship. Um, or honestly, there's many victims are trafficked by a family member. And there's there's it, a wide variety of how it happens specifically. The underlying issues tend to be similar in, in that a lot of these victims have previous victimization. Mm-hmm. Um, they are traumatized oftentimes as kids, uh, whether it's emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. There's uh, poverty. There are a lot of traumas that we go through as individuals that then can make us more vulnerable uh, to traffickers and to those that prey on on vulnerable people. An interesting stat that I saw on your website, which is c7htc.org, is that a third of runaways are approached by a pimp within 48 hours of them being on the street. Mm Mm-hmm. The, the way that you explained it is this stuff just kind of starts happening. It's not one of these taken situations where it's something insane and dynamic. It's, it's something like this. Correct. I, I think it would be good to discuss what human trafficking is. I think that um, a lot of people probably don't really even understand what that term means. So when you say human trafficking, what are you talking about? Yeah, human trafficking is the broad term that covers both sex trafficking and labor trafficking. The similarity is that force, fraud, or coercion are involved in order to reach that trafficking uh, limit legally. Um, So somebody that is forced into labor, whether it's we see occasionally on the news somebody was holding, you know, a maid or, or nanny or somebody in their home for years and years and forcing them to work for free, um, that's labor trafficking. Um, same uh, agriculture has a lot of labor trafficking. Mm. Um, there's anytime you have, especially a low uh, income population needing work, they're highly vulnerable for labor trafficking. Now, labor trafficking and sex trafficking oftentimes will overlap. Somebody being labor trafficked will oftentimes be sex trafficked also. But then there's also with sex trafficking, if somebody is a trafficker is focused on sex trafficking. Many times they don't get into the labor trafficking. They'll stay in the sex trafficking. Now, if it's an individual that's an adult, then for legal prosecution, uh, law enforcement and the prosecutors have to prove that force, fraud, or coercion. But if it's a minor that's involved, a minor cannot consent to a commercial sex act. And so as a minor, if they've been... Um, involved in a commercial sex act, whoever it is, the pimp or whoever it is that uh, pushed them into that or is controlling that situation is guilty of trafficking. And they are a trafficking victim. And you don't have to prove the force, fraud, or coercion because they're a minor. Are most of them minors? That's really hard to say because people grow up. So often those that our society sees as a prostitute as an adult honestly, oftentimes started as a trafficking victim as a minor. And they are often still a trafficking victim. They are being uh, manipulated or forced into that prostitution even as an adult. It's just for law enforcement to be able to make that arrest of the trafficker and free uh, that adult is difficult because you have to be able to prove that force, fraud, or coercion. To me, this is modern-day slavery. Is this Absolutely. a good way to describe what this is? Yes. Why does, why does this happen without a lot of attention? Because I don't think that a lot of people 
know about this. I don't think a lot of people even really want to think about this, but it's happening, and it's happening at alarming rates. It's a $32 billion industry is the number that I saw. Why don't people talk about this? It's a difficult subject, and it's a complex subject. And because, for instance, on the with the minors, oftentimes you'll see a uh, teenager run multiple times, and they'll get in dr- involved with drugs or alcohol or partying or, or different things like that. And so they will be written off as just a bad kid. But generally speaking, there is a foundational root underneath that that is then driving their choices. And it is that foundation that then a trafficker will manipulate. And so there's just a lot more to it. But you're not, because we're from the outside, not seeing this pristine child in a dangerous situation and we want to just rush in and help, people think, well, you know, they're 15 years old, they're 16 years old, they should know better. They've made their choice. Now they get to live with their choice. Not thinking about the fact that, one, a child's brain is not fully formed. Physically, you're not able to make full logical decisions until you're in your 20s. There's a reason why. Yeah, (laughs) then it depends. Even then. Um, But there's a reason why our drinking age is not 14 years old. So all of those go into play. Plus then with trauma, trauma literally rewires the brain. So any potential for being able to make logical choices and ask for help when as an adult we think, well, you had to do is ask. That thought process never even happens because their brain doesn't allow it to happen because of the oftentimes the traumas that they've experienced in the past. Mm. So and we see the same thing with the adults with the years and years of the traumas. They are not going to make great decisions either. Uh, Oftentimes we'll probably many of us have met people that seem really immature and maybe they've got a history of drug abuse or different things and we think they're just they're a 35 year old acting like a 14 year old well that's because of the reprogramming of the brain and so it's literally a physical change in them and their thought processes aren't different and we can't expect them to make the same decision of uh, somebody who did not go through those traumas This work seems like it takes an incredible amount of patience and that it could be frustrating at times. How would you describe this type of work? Would you say that it is those things? It is, but it's extremely rewarding. Bottom line is these victims, whether child or adult, need help. And those of us that can help are stepping up more and more. To provide that help. Were you surprised that this became a calling? Yeah, I wasn't looking for it. Um, it's it's definitely um, not something that everybody wants to rush into or should rush into. There's a lot of things that uh, you see and you experience that are just horrendous. But at the same time, there are individuals who are living those horrendous things. And uh, it takes all of us to step up and do our part uh, because it really is, as we talked about before, it's a very complex issue. How do you cope with the ugly side of this? Is it the idea that you are helping these people? Is that what helps you through dealing with such tough subject matter and intense situations? 
it really is a calling for me. I'm I'm a pretty religious person, and so I very strongly feel like this is one of my assignments right now, one of my purposes right now. And so, yes, that helps uh, push through the moments. Dennis Osmond is the chair of C7 Human Trafficking Coalition. You can find them online at c7htc.org. Before we talk a little bit more about how the organization runs and what services are available, talk to me about how this process normally goes when you are trying to track someone down and rescue someone. As you mentioned, you're not kicking down doors. You're doing a lot of research and investigation, locating someone, and then it goes from there. How does this work? That first case that you got, that because you said that you had rescued over 100 mm-hmm. some odd people, that first one where you considered yourself being the rescuer, how did that go? What was that? A lot of work, and I don't want to get into too much detail um, because the Tell more... me why. Tell me why you don't want to say details. Because we don't want people to change what they're doing and making our work more difficult. You never want to inform the traffickers what to stop doing. Exactly. Okay, um, fair so enough. So a lot of our work is um, done going out and talking to people, putting out posters. A lot of work is done online, um, gathering as much information as possible that way. And then, honestly, there's a lot of hours spent just sitting in a vehicle doing surveillance mm. of a location that we suspect uh, the missing child may be at. Is there something police officers need before they're able to act on a call? Or is there a checklist, let's say, that you guys are going through during a surveillance to say, all right, this is official, this is definitely happening, and the police can now show up? Not really, other than... We need to make sure that we have confirmed with our eyes this individual, this missing individual is here uh, or at a particular location. Because otherwise, if law enforcement just goes to check an address and whoever answers the door just says, no, they're not here, law enforcement has no legal authority to go into that building and, and look for that child. And so if we can get physically see that child first, know that, yes, they are at this location, then we can tell law enforcement that. Then at that point, they have the authority to do what they need to do in order to get to that kid. On the website, it, it talks about how this stuff is happening at hotels and motels, which is, I think, the most obvious place that you would think of something like this happening. But then it also mentioned grocery stores and fast food restaurants. Is this happening all around us and we're just not necessarily aware of it happening? It really is. Uh, and just as an example of that, Um, The uh, CAC, the Child Advocacy Center in Denton County, uh, recently talked about how in the year of 2017, by half of 2017, 2018, they only had three uh, trafficking victim cases with kids. And even though in 2018 they had done over 900 forensic interviews with abused kids. Only three were seen as trafficking victims, but then there was a training for law enforcement and for other uh, individuals that are really front lines with kids. And immediately over the next three months, they received 18 uh, trafficking victims, confirmed victims, referred to them for services. And it just it's it's all around us. It's just we're not recognizing it. Can you spot it? If you're Oftentimes. just hanging, if you're just hanging out and you're stopping by, I'm not going to say restaurant. <laughs> if you're just stopping by somewhere to get a burger, mm-hmm. and uh, can you spot certain things? Can you see it? Yes, and I think it's like anything else. It's a learned. Uh, you learn what to 
to look for, and it's a gut feeling. And I, I tell people all the time that uh, listen to your gut. If you feel like there's something wrong, something's not quite right with the person you're looking at or, you know, the a certain situation or how somebody's acting, tell somebody. It never hurts to call 911 and have law enforcement check. And police officers tell us that all the time. Do not feel like it is a problem for you to call 911. They come and check on it, and there's no problem. They would much rather check on it, and everything's okay, and you just misread the situation. You are not going to get in trouble for making that phone call. Then have somebody desperately needing help and being in that slavery situation, and nobody bothers making that 911 call because they're too scared to make the phone call. You work in basically the entire North Texas region. Is this an active area? Is this, for lack of a better word, popular in our area? Well, the Dallas Metroplex is statistically second in Texas for trafficking behind Houston, and Texas is second in the nation for trafficking. So, yes, there's one of the a, more popular places in the country here. for this. Yes. Is there a reason for that? Part of it is uh, the border and an influx of vulnerable uh, population. But and part of it, they'll say oh, it's because of 35, you know, and just the, the corridors uh, that exist. But honestly, it happens everywhere. I think as more and more people uh, learn to recognize it, we're going to find out that per capita, the numbers are probably closer than we currently believe to other towns and cities and because it happens in small towns. It happens everywhere. I believe I saw on the website that this organization started in 2015. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. All right. So when you were forming C7, what were you trying to accomplish specifically? The main initial purpose was to try and bring awareness to the community that this does exist and it exists where we live, um, especially being uh, it originally was started as the Denton County Human Trafficking Coalition. Um, and so and it's based in Denton is where we have our meetings. People felt like they were outside of Dallas far enough that these kinds of things just didn't happen up there, which is incorrect. Um, so we wanted to start the coalition, be a unified voice for telling people, look, that this really is happening around us and also be able to come into a room with organizations that provide a lot of different services but and have the potential to see a victim to help them start to recognize this individual may be showing up because of a domestic violence situation, but this domestic violence situation is actually a trafficking situation. Or uh, it's I, our organization helps homeless people, but these individuals are having to sell themselves to survive, and, and there are people being trafficked among the homeless population. And so there's a lot of different organizations with a lot of different purposes, but they all have uh, a piece of this solution for trafficking. 33 organizations is a lot. Of, it's a lot. It's a lot of different people. So was that always the goal, was to try and, and figure out, I need a group for every stage in this process? It wasn't that formally mapped out. Uh, it was more, it, it obviously started smaller than that. And so it's, you know, who, what organizations had some relationship with each other, 
let's get together. Let's, you know, try and have some events in the community to let people know about it. Um, there was events that were uh, done at various churches to try and let church congregations know about it. Um, and it just grew from there. And so now we have multiple law enforcement agencies, uh, government agencies that come. We have a representative from the governor's trafficking team that mm. is at our meetings pretty much every month. Um, DA's office has a representative there. Um, there's a real wide variety. So it's not just uh, nonprofit uh, organizations, but it's everybody that's involved with uh, anything that has to do with trafficking in, in one way or another. That's a lot of growth in just a few years. Did you find that all these different groups were looking for this? Is that why this was, uh, why you were able to put this together? Were these groups looking for a community to be a part of? I think as awareness grew and recognition uh, grew in the frontline people of, hey, I think this really is happening and, and we're seeing it, but we don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to help them. We don't know what services are, are available specifically for trafficking victims and how do we handle it and how do we not uh, or how do we help that victim get out of the situation but not endanger them in the process. And there was just a lot of unknowns. And so coming together as a group to talk through those things and bring in law enforcement and have those conversations and bring in outside experts in order to try and educate our organizations on how to handle it is what then caused it to grow. Are you looking to expand the group or are you happy with the size of C7 at the time at, at now? Oh no, there's there's a lot of areas. I mean, it's a seven county area. So there's a lot of especially rural areas yeah. that again, people are not yet educated on how to recognize it. And even if somebody does, again, what services do they provide, how to handle it? Um, there's just and there are more and more organizations that are out there that they have their niche they're really good at what they do, um, but if we're the closer we are together, working together, communicating together, attacking this issue together, the more effective everything's going to be. So now we would love to have three times this number of organizations. If people want to get involved with this organization, what's the best way for them to do that? Easiest thing is go to the website, get some information, fill out the you know more information form. Um, we also have a Facebook page. Um, if you just Search C7 Human Trafficking Coalition will come up. Volunteer opportunities? We can match you with organizations looking for volunteers. Uh, again, the coalition is all about growing and strengthening the member organizations. It's not about creating our own programs. It's about recognizing uh, the gaps and the ways that we can help the member organizations, but then also be a unified voice to city council and to those in you know, political positions, whether it's at the state level. We have um, Congressman Burgess as a representative that's at every meeting. And we have multiple uh, political uh, people who send uh, somebody to every meeting in order to be involved, in order to hear what the issues are, and to help write the laws that need to be written and make everyone's work, make our work much more effective in order to help to not re-victimize uh, those that have been through so much, but then also find ways to bring them to restoration. There's a lot of information on the website, details, a lot of events coming up on the calendar. Once again, that website, c7htc.org. I have been speaking with Dennis Osmond. He is the chair of C7 Human Trafficking Coalition. It was great speaking with you. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 